Thank you guys so much for being here today. We're so excited to worship with all of you uh, together today here in God's house. And so we're going to dive right into God's word this morning and worship uh, through the preaching of the words. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Uh, if you need a Bible, I think there's some there in the chairs around you. You can grab one of those. And we're going to be going to Acts chapter 6. Uh, my name is Pastor Micah, and uh, just really excited to be here with you all today. And we've kind of been going through this series at our church um, in the book of Acts. And so we're just going to kind of keep pressing through on that, and uh, we're going to pick up right where uh, we're at in that series. Um, and this part of Acts we've called uh, Strength from the Spirit, and looking at how the Holy Spirit brings strength into our hearts and into our lives to allow us to follow Christ as he's called us to do. And um, today we're looking at the strength to sacrifice um, from a pretty familiar passage, I think, if you um, have been in church or if you've read much of the Bible. So... Um, there was one time a, a pastor who was preaching on going to heaven, which is obviously a pretty common topic uh, in church. And so he's preaching his message and he's going along. And at one point he says, how many of you, show of hands, how many of you would like to go to heaven today? And of course, everybody in the room raised their hands. But there was this one little guy, like this one little boy, like up in the balcony, he didn't raise his hand. So the pastor's like, well, that's weird. So with a little more gusto, he's like, all right, who wants to go to and the little guy, everybody else raised their hand, the little guy, no, didn't raise his hand. So the pastor's kind of, you know, worried at this point. He's like, he's like, all right, son, you don't want to go to heaven? The boy said, well, yeah, someday. But I thought you were getting up a load for tonight. Like, I, no, I'm not ready for that. I think that's most people in the world. Like, most people would say, yes, I want to go to heaven, but maybe not tonight. And maybe, I think a lot of them don't even really know what that looks like or how to get there or what that means in the scope of their life. And one of the things we're going to see in the passage today is um, as we look at this familiar account of the first Christian martyr in the person of Stephen, I think it's important that we realize that it's not just about Stephen's death. A lot of times when this passage gets preached, it's all focused on the sacrificial death of Stephen, and it definitely was that. But there was a whole lot of sacrificial life of Stephen that came before the sacrificial death of Stephen. Paul kind of touches on this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and he says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, the true mark of following Jesus is not just a sacrificial death, but a sacrificial life that we live out day by day as we follow Christ. And in many ways, I think that is actually much harder even than a sacrificial death. D.L. Moody, famous pastor, said it this way. He said, the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps climbing off the altar. Right? It's hard sometimes when you're, I want to follow Jesus, I want to I sacrifice, I want to be with him, but then the day-to-day -day stuff comes at us and it's easy to step back into the me world, step back into the I'm doing it my way and this is how I want things to roll. So today, we need to examine what it means to be a living sacrifice for Jesus. So here's kind of the main thought I want us to grapple with. To follow Jesus in death, to go to heaven, I must sacrifice for Jesus in life. If, I, if one day when I die, I want to follow Jesus through death, I first have to live a life that is sacrificed for his name and for his glory here on this earth. And we're going to see that in the person of Stephen. So Acts chapter 6, verse 8, here we go. And Stephen, full of grace and power, 
was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those of Cilicia and of Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and as the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Engaging at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So let's pause there. First thing I want you to see here about sacrifice today is that sacrifice starts when I die to self. That's point number one. Sacrifice starts when I die to self. It's interesting to me that when they introduce Stephen here, they say that he was, Stephen was full of grace and power. And this is actually connected to and building on what, the, what Luke has already said about Stephen in the previous verses, where in verse 3 and 5, he said that he was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Those are all kind of synonymous terms there. So clearly, Stephen was a man who had been radically and powerfully changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? That is not a description you get of normal, earthly, human men. Right? That they're full of grace and the Spirit and faith. That's not how we describe normal men. We describe them usually as the opposite of that, full of pride and full of self-reliance and sinful desires and fear. And that's the way we would describe most people, correct? But Stephen here, that's not what's said of him. Because this is exactly where Jesus comes in. This is exactly what Jesus does. He radically and powerfully changes our lives. The gospel, my friends, is simply this that every one of us starts with not that. We start with the sinful, prideful, my way, not your way, all about me. I don't care what you want, God. I care what I want. That's how we're born, right? That's what we come into this world with. And that's what our heart runs after until God steps in and says, you know what, I'm gonna fix this. Because we can't fix it on our own. You and I do not have it within us to overcome our own sinful natures. So God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come and be born as a human, to live a perfect and sinless life, and then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. To go and stand in our place, to take our wrath and our punishment and our death upon himself, to be our substitute. And then as he went into the grave, three days later, he rose back to life to prove that he was God to show us that I am who I said I am, and now if you will come to me, if you will put your faith in me, if you will believe, I will save you from your sin. I will wash you clean. I will forgive every single thing you have ever done or ever will do, and you can then once again have a relationship with God the Father. That's what Stephen believed. That's what Stephen understood, and that's what changed him to be a man who was full of grace and power and faith and of the Holy Spirit. And if you have not yet believed that today, then right now God is saying the same thing to you. Come, believe, put your faith in me and I will change you. You can have all these things. You don't have to stay stuck 
in the sinful patterns of your life. You see, the heart of salvation is dying to self. It's putting the old me away and taking on Christ. It's putting your faith in Jesus, not in yourself. It's submitting to Jesus, not myself. It's living for Jesus, not myself. That is what it means to believe the gospel. When Jesus saves me, he changes my heart, and the old man and the old life and the old ways are gone. Doesn't mean I don't mess up, all right? Even pastors still sing. Can I get an amen from somebody? All right. Wife in front. Okay. We all still have sin, but our desires change, and God starts ripping that away from us, and he starts moving us and changing us and drawing us to be more like Jesus. That's what's happening to Stephen here. It is impossible to sacrificially live for Jesus unless I die to myself. That's what we have to see from Stephen here. The first thing Stephen did was he put his faith in Jesus and he died to himself and he sacrificed everything for the name of Christ. Stephen's our model. Let me show you why I think that. There's three evidences right here in this text that show us how Stephen laid down his life in sacrifice to Jesus. The first one, it says that he was doing many wonders and signs among the people. So God had given him some type of special power from the Holy Spirit to do these miraculous signs, just like Jesus, just like the apostles had been doing. And if you know anything about the accounts in the Gospels, when Jesus started doing miracles and signs and wonders, all these people just started rushing around him. He could never get alone. He could never get any silence. It was just this barrage of people constantly wanting his help when they found out that he had these powers and these ability to do these miraculous wonders and signs. So if Stephen has that power, guess what's happening to him? He is constantly surrounded with people who are asking for something from him. And what the text tells us is that he kept doing wonders and signs. He kept sacrificially giving up of himself to serve others. The second thing it says is that some rose up and disputed against him. Some of them didn't like his message about Jesus and about the gospel. And just like with Jesus and just like with the apostles, some men rose up to argue with him and say, that's not true and this isn't right. But the problem is they could never win the arguments. But even if you can win the arguments, if you've ever had to defend yourself or your faith or something at work or something in your family over and over and over and over again, that is exhausting, right? Like the energy that that takes, the emotional bandwidth that it takes to continue to, to, to just argue and defend and this is true and this is true when everybody else says it isn't, that's exhausting, And so here we see Stephen again sacrificially giving of his energy and his emotional bandwidth to defend the truth of the gospel. And then the last thing, when they couldn't take him down, when they couldn't argue him down or stop him, it says that they pulled together false witnesses to lie about him, to say things that weren't true, to get him on trial, just like with Jesus, when his opponents said very much some of the same things to try to kill him and get him out of the way because they couldn't defeat his power either. And so here we see Stephen is sacrificially giving up his reputation. He's, he's, he doesn't stop talking about Jesus. When they, when they accuse him of these false things, when they threaten to bring him into the, 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 the court, when they drag him off, like, he doesn't change his tune. 
He keeps sacrificing himself, keeps speaking the truth, because his reputation is nothing compared to the name and the reputation of his Savior. And he lays all of it down because Jesus had changed his heart. This is what a sacrificial life looks like. Now, I want you to just put yourself in Stephen's shoes for a second here, okay? It's always important that when we read the Bible, especially narrative, that we put ourselves in the scene, that we understand what's going on. Stephen was a normal guy, just like you and I. He had a life before Jesus. Some of y'all had a life before Jesus. Do you remember that life? You remember that life? Right? Some of you are like, I, I wish I could forget that life, right? Like, but we all had a life before Jesus. We had work. We had family. We had aspirations and goals. We had financial um, you know, plans. We had stuff that we wanted to do. We had a reputation. We had a life before Jesus came and found us. But when Jesus comes, he changes all of that. And right here we see that Stephen has laid down his whole life to follow Jesus. Whatever it was in the past, whatever reputation he had, whatever plans he had, whatever things he wanted to be investing himself in, all that got laid down when he started following Jesus because now we see him giving all he has to the name, to the mission. Ask yourself, has my life changed like that? When you came to Christ, did your life change like that? Did the old life and the old stuff, did that go away? Did you turn over every one of these areas to Christ? Are you still working on that? I think many of us are. This is what it means to have a sacrificial life. Now, that's a lot of weight to carry. That's a lot. It takes a lot. Sometimes it feels like it takes too much from us, like it's too heavy. I think Stephen probably felt that. So I want you to look and see what his response is in the midst of this weight of all that he's laying down. They pull in front of the council and it says that his face was like the face of an angel. Now that little phrase like there is kind of hard to discern. It's been debated for years. What exactly does that mean? But Luke, it appears here that Luke is revealing to us that his face was kind of shining with the glory and with the, the glow as one who has been in the presence of God. You think about angels. They, everyone in scripture, they're shown having this kind of glowing appearance, right? Because they have been in the presence of God and they are reflecting his glory and his grace. It, this might even be a reference, I think, interestingly enough, to Moses, who he's accused here of being against, right? They've just accused him of being against Moses, and now his face is glowing like Moses' did when he went and met with God face to face in the temple or in the tent uh, of witness in the Old Testament. So I think what Luke is trying to show us is here that clearly, despite the hardship, despite the attacks, despite all the stuff that's going on in Stephen's life, all the suffering, all the sacrifice. God, he is obviously living his life in the presence of God, so much so that his face is filled with the shine and the glory of who God is. He has a life that's full of joy and peace and courage, fulfillment in Christ. Stephen could gladly sacrifice every part of his life for his, sacri for his Savior because he had already died to himself. 
This was all he had left. This past week, um, my dad was in town <clears throat> for some business stuff. And so anytime he's in town, we try to get together with him and the, spend time with the grandkids. And, and he always, always wants to go do something special with the grandkids, right? So this week, um, it was the infamous Chuck E. Cheese. And so one night, we all piled up and went to Chuck E. Cheese and ate really bad pizza and then played games. And, um, but at the end of the night, obviously at the end of the Chuck E. Cheese night, what you have to do is you have to cash in all the... The tickets, right? Yeah, okay. So parents are with me. So you got to cash in all the tickets. So we get all the tickets together and we, we go up there and uh, to, names have been removed to protect the innocent. But um, so daughter number one had like 500 and something tickets, all right? Daughter number two had 198 tickets. And so me being, you know, good dad, turned to daughter number one and said, hey, would you mind giving your sister two tickets so she can have 200 tickets so she can get something, you know, nicer or bigger? You would have thought that I asked her to cut off her left arm and give it to her sister. Like the face, I got like, you have my, my tickets, right? Like it was, it was <laughs> two tickets. Sometimes I think that's the way we respond to God when he asks us to sacrifice something. What? Are you serious right now, God? You can't possibly ask me to give that. I've already given this and this, and I've already given so much. How can you ask me to give that too? Anything but that. That's, that's my thing, God. And he says, no, no, no. That's, that's what I want. Now, in that moment, I think I said something like, well, I could just take all your tickets and give them to your sister, right? which is always a great move, right? Parents like threatening your children. So um, thankfully, God is a better father than I am, and didn't, he doesn't say to us like that. He, he's much more gracious but little by little, step by step, he asks us for another ticket and another ticket. And he grows us in sacrifice until we're willing to lay down everything for our Savior. God doesn't want us to just sacrifice a few things. He wants to sacrifice all of our life for him. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. So the question on this first point is simply this, what am I refusing to sacrifice for Jesus? Most people, nobody else can answer that for you. You have to answer that for yourself. In my heart, deep down, maybe nobody else knows about it, but what am I refusing to sacrifice for Jesus? Some of you, it's the throne of your life. Some of you are still holding on to, I'm in control, I'm doing it my way, I don't care what you say, God, and you have not yet given yourself to Jesus at all. And you need to relinquish that control and you need to put your faith in a God who is so much bigger and better and stronger than any of us and put your trust in him. Others of you, maybe it's the use of your time. All right, God, you, you get a couple hours on Sunday, but the, the rest of the weekend's mine, man. I get to do what I want to do with my time. Maybe for you, it's the pleasures of this life. Maybe you still got a few things that, man, they just, you love to do that or you love to, to take that or you love to, to be a part of that and you're not willing to let that go even though God's calling you away from it. Maybe it's the preferences of your heart. I want it my way. I want, it, I want to do it this certain process. I want it to look like this. I want it to sound like this. I want it to be like this, God. Demanding preferences. Maybe it's your reputation with others at work. Maybe your friends know you're a Christian. Maybe your neighbors even know you're a Christian, but maybe nobody at work knows you're a Christian. 
Because, man, what would that do to my job? Maybe it's your reputation with your family. Maybe you haven't told them yet. I don't know. Maybe it's your financial security. All right, God, I'll follow you as long as I have X amount in the bank. Don't ask me to give more than that. Don't ask me to sacrifice more than that because I got to have this platform here of financial security in my life. I don't know what it is for you. But I can guarantee you there's something right now that God's put his finger on. He's saying, I want you to sacrifice a little bit more. Take the next step. Give me the next ticket. Stephen was a sacrificial life. And then look what happens next. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. And the high priest said, so he's leading the court, right? He says, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. So let's pause there for a second. Second point is this. Sacrifice grows when I glorify God. Sacrifice grows when I glorify God. So the high priest asked him, are these things so? In other words, what's your defense? You've heard the accusations. What do you have to say for yourself? This right here is a watershed moment for Stephen. Do you understand that? He knows his life is on the line right here. If we look back in Acts, aggression has been increasing against Christians the whole time, right? It started with a few threats, then it, then the apostles got beaten. Now Stephen has been falsely accused. He knows what's coming. This is exactly what happened to Jesus. Same mob, same council, same threats, same accusations, and we know where that led. This is not, none of this is lost on Stephen. And there's two extreme accusations against him. That he's against God's holy place, the temple. He's against God's holy word. You can't get any more serious in the Jewish community than those two accusations. So now's the time. Choose your words carefully, Stephen. And he says, brothers and fathers, hear me. And then he goes into his defense speech. Now, I don't have time this morning, unfortunately, to unpack the whole defense speech. This is the longest speech in the book of Acts. Lots of stuff there. I'm going to give you the high points. You can go back and read it in more detail for yourself later today. Okay? Um, but I'm going, to hit, I'm going to hit you with the high points. Basically, Stephen's argument that he's making here throughout his speech. So he says this. He starts with, our father Abraham. So he points all the way back to the beginning of the Jewish faith. He's like, hey, man, we're all in this together. We all have the same father, Abraham, who was chosen by God and promised offspring that would one day save the whole world. And so he's revealing to them, listen, I believe in the same Abraham that you believe in. I believe that God had a redemptive plan from the beginning. He told Abraham from the very beginning that he was going to redeem his people. So God's been doing this always. And then he jumps forward to Joseph, who was one of the the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he says, Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery, and then he was afflicted while he was in Egypt, but God was with him, and God rescued him. That's the emphasis with Joseph, that God is a rescuing, redeeming God who has always been about rescuing his people. And then he jumps to Moses, and he says that Moses was supposed to be killed when the Egyptian Pharaoh was killing off all the Hebrew babies because they were getting too numerous in the land. But Moses, he says, was saved from death because he was beautiful in God's sight. This is the same man that he's accused of attacking, right? His, his, his false witnesses have said, he's against Moses. He's like, no, 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 I, I'm all for Moses. I love Moses. This is, he says, Moses was sent as a ruler and a redeemer for God's people. Again, another example, God is about redeeming his people. Moses was our guy. 
He came to redeem God's people. And he, Moses also said that God would raise up another prophet like him who would be even greater than Moses was. Although Moses was a great redeemer and ruler, and I'm all for Moses, he says, there was a greater one that was coming that Moses even knew about. And then he jumps, I'm sorry, and he also points out that all of the Jews rejected Moses and God's redeemers that he sent throughout that time. And then he mentions the tent of witness in the temple. So in the Old Testament, when the Jews were in the wilderness, they had this tent they would set up, and that's where they would meet with God, right? And then when they got into the land, eventually they built the temple, which became the place where God would meet with his people. His point in his purpose in pointing out the temple and the tent of witness is that he's showing them that God is a personal and active God. That God set up a place where he could come down and meet with his people, but he came down to redeem his people, not a place. He's like, the temple was important, the tent of witness was important, but not because of the structure. It was important because that's where God met with his beloved people. John Stott, in one of the commentaries I've been reading, says it this way. He says, long before there was a holy place, there was a holy people to whom God had pledged himself. So his emphasis is, listen, God's always been about the same thing. Rescuing, redeeming, worshiping, being with his people. It's never been about you or me or the guy's name or the place. It's been about God's people. And at first glance, it seems like Stephen's giving a defense here, like a self-defense, affirming all this Jewish history to say, no, 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 I'm with you. But in reality, what Stephen is doing is he's using Jewish history not to defend himself, but to once again testify about his Savior, Jesus Christ. He's using their own history, their own Bible, to point them to Jesus again when his own life is on the line. He takes this opportunity not to rescue himself, not to protect himself, not to try to do damage control. He uses the opportunity once again to exalt and glorify his God. That's what what sacrifice looks like. Living sacrifice puts God, his name, his gospel, his mission before my own. And then he doubles down. Look at verse 51. Jump down with me, 51. He says, you stiff-necked people, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You have received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So man, he just goes both guns a-blazing right at them, right? You stiff-necked people. You resist the Holy Spirit, just like your fathers. Stephen has just quoted all these prophets in his speech. And Stephen is just like the Old Testament prophets, declaring the truth of God in the face of opposition, no matter what it's going to cost. He says, the righteous one, Jesus, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You want to know my defense? You want my defense? Jesus is my defense. That's all I got for you. Let me just point you again to the one who is here to save all of us, to make it all right, to bring all of us back to the family. You want to know the defense? It's him. There is no other. 
Stephen is willing to lay down his life for the glory of the one who laid down his life first. When Courtney and I first decided to go into church planting and to plant a church, you know, we told our friends and our family and the church we were a part of at that time, and, and we got all kinds of different responses, right? Um, lots of different responses. But the, one of the most common ones was, man, I just, I just can't believe how much, you know, faith or courage or, you know, sacrifice you guys are willing to make and you have to do this, and, which was really just code for, like, y'all are crazy. Like, that's pretty much what that meant, which is kind of true. You kind of have to be crazy to do church planting. And so, but this was kind of the normal response. And, and when I look back at that point in my own life, in my own heart, as we, there was definitely some aspects of it where I was wanting to, I, I was, I was wanting to sacrifice for God's glory. I was wanting to sacrifice for God's mission. I wanted to do something big for the Lord. But if I can be really honest with you this morning, as we stepped into that journey of church planting, God started to reveal to me that I had a whole lot more in my heart that was about Micah's glory rather than it was God's glory. I had a certain timeline that I wanted to see. I had a certain size church, a certain salary, a certain story that I wanted for our church that would prove mostly to me (laughs) that I could do this, that I was a good enough pastor, that I was a good enough church planter, like, I, like this, this could work. I had a whole lot of my glory wrapped up in what I thought I was doing for God's glory. But God was not having it. And he won't. God will not let you steal part of his glory. And so it took a season of him breaking me down and changing my heart and rearranging some things in my life to make me realize, hey, this is not about me, it's about him. And I'm not saying I'm perfect at that, man. There's still some ways that God's chipping on me hard in terms of sacrifice. But I think this is, I think this is all of our story. As we walk through the Christian life, there's always parts of it that we're giving to God and we're sacrificing to God, and there's parts of it that we're holding on to and like, no, this is about me. And I want it this way, and I want it my way, and this is, and God will not settle for that. He's always calling us deeper into Christ, more sacrifice as followers of Jesus and as the church collectively. Again, John Stott, I was reading him this week, and he said it this way. He said, God has bound himself to his church and to his word. Praise the Lord, amen, right? But God's church means people, not buildings. God's word means scripture, not traditions. So as long as these essentials are preserved, the buildings and the traditions can, if necessary, go. We must not allow them to imprison the living God or to impede his mission in the world. God has called us as the church to a mission. And we need to be willing to lay down everything for that mission for his glory. And we don't always understand what that looks like. We don't always, that doesn't always make sense to us. But it makes sense to God. He's got a plan. It's very easy for our flesh to make our life, our church, our faith about us, about our glory. Happens all the time to all of us. 
But if we're truly going to be living sacrifices, we have to be about his glory. Even when the weight's the heaviest. So here's the question. Where am I more worried about my glory than God's glory? Again, you have to answer this. I cannot answer this for you. Your spouse cannot answer Like You have to look at your own heart. Like Where am I more about my glory than God's glory? Is it my reputation? Is my reputation more important to me than God? At work, at family, with so, on social media, in my community, is my reputation more important? Is my safety or my comfort more important? My health. Do I have to have good health to be able to follow Jesus? Do I have to have my nice cushy life? Do I have to have things just the way I want them and have my desires met? What do I have to have? What am I not willing to give up to follow God? Is my money more important? The way I spend it? The way I save it? That can be an idol on both sides. Do I use my money to control? I'm not only going to give this if you do what I want, if you play by my rules. Where am I making it more about my glory than God's glory? Let's finish our story up. Look at verse 54. It says, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Last point this morning. Sacrifice sustains when I hope in the gospel. Living sacrifice is hard, but I can do it. I can keep going. It will sustain me if and only if my hope is in the gospel. Right here, it says that they were so mad at the end of his speech that they were enraged, that they were grinding their teeth. Listen, there was not much hope for Stephen in that room right there. Again, just put yourself in his shoes. Imagine that you're there. You're all alone. No one's on your side. This angry mob is just looking for a reason to kill you, and nothing you can say is going to help. That's Stephen's position right now. There's, there's not much hope in that. Stephen had no chance with this group. No hope. So look what he does. It says he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Stephen knew exactly where to go. He knew exactly who to look to in the middle of his hopeless situation. For followers of Christ, our hope is not in a man. It's not in this world. It's not in an organization. It's not in this life. Our hope is only forever always, absolutely, in the Savior, Jesus Christ. We have to look to him when we're overcome with hopelessness. He said, behold, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That phrase there is so important. The right hand of God is the place of power 
It's the place of, 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 of rule and reign. He sees here that Jesus is reigning and ruling and in complete control of everything, both his life and his death. Being a living sacrifice is extremely difficult. And oftentimes it puts us in hopeless situations. I think some of you here today are in the middle of that right now. Maybe you're the single mom who struggles to make ends meet, but you're not willing to give up your obedience to God in order to land a man. Maybe it's you're never able to actually advance at your company because you're not willing to cut corners and be dishonest to do it for the glory of God. Maybe you're enduring ridicule and retribution at school or at work from teachers, from classmates, because you stand and you trust in the word of God. Maybe you're having to release one chapter of your life or one chapter of your ministry in hopes that God is going to do something bigger and better in the next season. Maybe you need to spend less in order to give more. Maybe you need to absorb the pain of somebody else in order to forgive them. Maybe you have to deal with your family disowning you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you are in hopeless situations right now. And the answer to your hopelessness is the exact same answer that Stephen shows us here. Whether it's in life or in death, we have to stand and gaze into the glory of Jesus Christ. Let him be your living hope. Christ, the gospel, sustains us and assures us in the midst of all the hopelessness of this world. Jesus himself did it when he faced the cross. Jesus, God in the flesh, when he came to his hardest moment, he looked up to God and said, God, receive my spirit. Stephen does it here when he faced the angry mob with strength from the spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, man, please hear me today. You have the Holy Spirit in you right now. All of his power, all of his glory, all of his presence, it's with you. Every moment, every day. We could not ask for a better gift. And in the strength of that spirit, in the midst of your hopelessness, you can look up and face it with your eyes on Jesus Christ. When he said that, it says, they cried out and they stopped their ears and they rushed together and they cast him out and stoned him to death. Be sure this was nothing short of a mob murder. Out of control, violent, vicious, stoning a man to death. This would have been so graphic, they wouldn't have been able to even show it on the evening news. This is no small sacrifice we're talking about here. And look at the height of his sacrifice. Look at Stephen's response. We see Stephen's final response in two statements. These are so key. First, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, receive my life. He was resting in the assurance of the gospel to save him. 
he knew that no matter what these people did to him, he was going to be going to see Jesus. And that was enough to sustain him in the midst of the sacrifice. But then the second statement is, to me, almost more remarkable. He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Lord, don't just rescue my life. Don't just save me. Save them. Rescue their lives too. That's the point of the gospel, isn't it? To save even the ones who are furthest from Jesus. He says, save them. In his death, he could rest in the assurance of the gospel to keep the mission going, to save the many, even if he didn't get to see it. That's our hope. That this gospel is so much bigger than us that when we're here or when we're not, it's going to keep going, it's going to keep saving people, it's going to keep bringing people back to God. Stephen knew that. And the evidence is actually standing right there next to him. It says that they laid their coats at the feet of a guy named Saul. Anybody know him? In just a couple chapters, this dude's going to get radically and powerfully saved. And there is no doubt in my mind that as he is face-to-face with Jesus on the Damascus Road, that this scene is flashing in his head. That self-sacrifice, that living sacrifice for Jesus that he saw in Stephen laid the foundation for the guy who would take the gospel to the entire world. You never know how your sacrifice is going to lead to someone else glorifying and following Jesus. And then it says he fell asleep. Stephen died. He died to live again. He'd already died to self. Now he's dying in the flesh to live forever with the Savior. Stephen's sacrificial death was simply the fruit of his sacrificial life. You don't get to the end and have a big awesome end moment like this if you weren't doing the work along the way. This doesn't just happen. This was something he had been walking towards ever since he met Jesus. Church, this is what it looks like to finish the race, to sacrifice well, just like our Savior did. There are no rewards for starting the race, only for finishing. We can follow Jesus even through death, if our hope rests solely in the gospel. Because we know where we're going. And we know who's in charge. Last question. Where do I look when life seems hopeless? When you're in one of these sacrificial moments and there's no hope to be found and you don't know what to do, where do you look? Where do you go? Whether it's in life or death, the answer is the same. Look at Jesus. Look to Jesus. He is the only hope we have when it all comes down to the end. He will, he will give you the strength that you need to walk through the sacrifice if you put your hope in him. I started off with this statement, to follow Jesus in death, I must sacrifice for Jesus in life. I know we all want to get there, right? 
Don't we all want to see him face to face one day and hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Is that the desire of your heart today? You're not like the little boy up in the balcony, are you? Right? Don't you want to see Jesus? It starts now. It starts in this life, being a living sacrifice. It's never easy. Our flesh will fight against it every step of the way. Let me just warn you, if you're new to this Christian thing, <laughs> your flesh is gonna fight you every single step. But the strength of our savior in us is stronger. If we follow him, he promises to give us the strength that we need to follow it and be a sacrifice. And that is the only way to be a true follower of Christ. So instead of fighting it, that's what we wanna do, isn't it? Don't we wanna fight against the sacrifice and avoid it? And Instead of fighting it, let's embrace it. Let's, let's be blown away by how God will use our sacrifice to exalt his name and bring himself glory and extend his mission far beyond anything we can think or imagine. God wants to do a magnificent work through his people, through his church, the people who are living sacrificially for him day in and day out. Why don't you stand with me? I'm gonna pray. Then we're gonna sing a song of response and just asking God to help us walk and follow him with the strength to sacrifice. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. Father, we know that we are unfit for this task. Lord, we, we are so grateful. We thank you so much for calling us to yourself, for saving us from ourselves. But we know, Lord, that we don't have it in us to do what you're calling us to do. So, Father, we are crying out today. We are standing on your word, and we are praying in your spirit that you would fill us with your strength, oh God, to be a living sacrifice for you, for your glory, for your gospel. We want to follow you. We wanna follow you in life. We wanna follow you in death. No matter what the cost, our hope is in you. It's in you alone. And so we praise your holy name. Lord, lead us. Fill us with your grace. Fill us with your strength, Lord. Make this about you, your glory. We pray all this in Christ's precious name.